Welcome to the Esports Report, a monthly podcast about Georgia high school esports programs and important gaming news. Hosted by Ashley Hodge, the Georgia Play VS Super Coach, Riot RSAA board member, GHSA Esports Advisory board member, and Esports Researcher. Sit back, relax, and plug in. Welcome to Season 2 of the Esports Report. I'm your host, Ashley Hodge. If you're just tuning in, I've been in the high school esports ecosystem for a while. Since 2017, I was actually one of the coaches that helped spread esports in the state of Georgia through Play Versus and GHSA, and eventually throughout the rest of the states. I've grown a large esports program, and I'm currently working with a smaller esports program. I've served on multiple esports boards, and currently I'm coaching an award-winning team, the DCHS Trailblazer Esports Teams. Before we get started, I want to thank this season's sponsor, the Georgia Association for Instructional Technology, or GAIT, GATE. GATE is a nonprofit organization consisting of educators, researchers, practitioners, trainers, and collaborating organizations across a variety of fields. GATE provides multiple opportunities, both in person and virtually, to offer professional development and a chance for educators to collaborate with others using innovative technology in the classroom. So currently, just for your information, guys, there is a instructional technology forum. It's called the IT Forum. Basically, it is a virtual showcase of different professions in the industry. And this will be on Saturday, March 16th, and you can register for the event on the official Facebook website. So again, it's a free virtual professional development event called the IT Forum, and it will be held on March 16th. And now on to the show. The main topic of today's episode is to discuss what's currently happening in the professional video game industry and how I think that is going to affect the collegiate and high school esports space. Um, However, before I get to that, I know a lot of my listeners are coaches who are interested in tips and tricks for like running esports programs and things like that. So February also signals the start of the 2024 spring esports season for Georgia high schools. So before I get into the current dumpster fire that is the professional gaming industry right now and how it's going to affect us, I want to actually talk about the start of the season since most listeners are coaches. And, uh, you know, if you're not interested in uh, this part, you can just kind of skip ahead. February marks the beginning of the 2024 Play Versus GHSA Esports season. A lot has happened and continues to happen in the high school esports ecosystem. So first, I do want to remind coaches and schools of a couple of things. Uh, One, competition is free this season, which we are all very happy for, and we hope that it will continue to remain free. Um, Be sure to complete the GHSA's esports coaching clinic prior to the start of the season on the GHSA website. And of course, number three, school esports programs could be fined for not completing these coaches clinic and for excessive forfeits during the season. So there are also some important upcoming dates that you guys are going to want to remember. So enrollment for spring 24 season did start January the 14th and enrollment is going to close uh, this week, actually tomorrow at the time of this podcast recording. 
on February 16th, 2024. We also are currently in preseason. So preseason has two weeks and that is running from February the 5th to next week. And then the regular season will be the weeks of February the 19th to April the 8th. And playoffs include the week of April 15th through April um, 16th. And then, of course, the spring championship will be held the week of April 29th. And all of this is coming directly from the Play Versus website. And, of course, I would like to remind you that these dates are for Georgia only. And if you need different dates for different states, again, please go to the Play Versus website, go to Resources, and you can find all your information there. So let's review the weekly schedule for games for the upcoming season. Mondays are officially practice days, which is very exciting. So Play Versus has what we call the Global Practice Day Scrimmage, and it's open for all game titles on Monday from 12 to 7 PST. So if you, you know, you got a new group of students and you want them to practice, Mondays are great for that. You can also sign up for practice using the practice day scrimmage queue and get your students playing other schools to prepare for the upcoming season. This practice day also allows coaches to see how games will work and how to use the match assistant. So very, very, very important. Tuesdays are official game days for League of Legends and Splatoon 3. Wednesday our official game days for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and NBA 2K. Thursdays are packed. Oh my goodness. And honestly, we we could see some of these games on Thursday uh, to be split. Because on Thursday, you have four titles. Rocket League, Madden, NFL, Mario Kart 8, and Hearthstone. Now, I know, I know why all of these games ended up on Thursday. It's because, you know, literally every other day during the week, there is something going on and not a lot of people are going to stay late on a Friday. Plus, you have all these other school activities going on Fridays, especially during football season. So I can understand why all of these games got pushed to Thursday, but it's it's a lot to, to just have four competitive games on on the same day. So now that you know these very important dates, you may be wondering, you know, how do I even get started or where I begin? So in this next segment, I'm going to go through how I do things (laughs) for my program. I'm going to offer you tips and tricks that work for me in my large program and small program. So, you know, if you're a coach and you have some tips and tricks that you would like to share, feel free to reach out to me at the esportsreporths at gmail.com. And schedule a time to just come on the show and share your ideas. Alrighty, so when the new esports season rolls around, I generally like to do a couple of things. First, what I like to do is do esports announcements in the form of verbal morning announcements that is read out by our principal each morning. And then sometimes I will also have my film students that I teach create hype videos or posters or flyers and promotional material for the program while also teaching them audio and film concepts and techniques. And then, of course, I myself will make hype videos and posters and and things like that. What I do is I I do the announcements and I find that the video announcements usually are better than the verbal announcements. I I find that high school students, they need multiple reminders about your program and, uh, you know, multiple formats 
uh, audio, video, infographs, all that can really help drive awareness to your program. So after all of that's done, after signups, I run the names of students by our attendance official. She does an amazing job telling me who is eligible to play and who is not. And then this list is submitted to my athletic director, and they have a list of participating students on file. So eligibility for esports is the same as traditional sports in the eyes of GHSA. So for more information on that, you know, please visit the GHSA website, click on the resources tab, and download the latest version of GHSA's Constitution. I have already done a video in the past reviewing the eSports Constitution, and this can be found on the YouTube channel, the eSports Report. So after all students have been deemed eligible to play, I start hosting like introductory meetings. Uh, normally, I'll bring all the same students playing the same game together on the day that they would have a match. So for example... Super Smash Ultimate players, I have them start meeting with me on Wednesday. That way they get used to meeting with me every Wednesday for their game. And then, you know, the next day, Thursday, if I had Rocket League players or Madden players, I would have them meet with me to talk to them about the format of the game, the layout of the game, the expectations of them, and kind of gauge their interest in the program or not. After those introductory meetings... Um, I'll host tryouts or practice depending on the number of students who have signed up. You know, in the past, I actually have had too many students and I have had to make cuts. You know, most of the time these cuts are based off game performance, but also on attitudes. I've actually had some really good video game players in the past that had terrible attitudes and they showed those attitudes to me during practice and they were just uncoachable and you know esports for the most part is a team sport and uncoachable students are not going to do your team any favors in the long run and you know before anybody jumps down my throat about uncoachable students they do exist I know it's a hard truth to hear but there are just some students who are going to be hard-headed and not follow the rules or work well with others and sometimes schools and teachers do not have enough resources to help these students. What I have started doing to protect my emotional and mental health was cut kids who can't follow rules and who present a safety risk to my program and the other students in it. You know, by presenting a safety risk to myself, they're not following my instructions. You know, there could be uh, an, a situation that happens and there's an instance where they need to follow my instructions to be safe and they're not going to. So I'm not going to put myself and other kids at risk with a student who doesn't have to be in my program. So, you know, I have cut players in the past for that kind of behavior. And then sometimes when the season gets started and they demonstrate very aggressive, toxic behavior and despite multiple warnings of trying to fix it and they and they won't you you have to cut them and let them go so you know once these students have been observed uh, teams are usually formed I normally let students pick their own teams however students do understand that I reserve the right to move them around if needed based off performance you know esports is a sport after all and we at Dodge County like to win just like anybody else
After teams are formed to host a parent night, I invite parents via social media through the school's social media Facebook webpage. I also tell the esports students about the meeting and to bring their parents. During this meeting, myself and any co-coach I have at the time will present esports information to the parents and answer any questions they have. So four things I like to include specifically during my meeting is number one, the commitment to the game and showing up on game times. Number two, teamwork. Number three, communication. And number four, coachability. In in the past, I actually have had kids quit mid-season or quit right before they made playoffs because another sport was starting. And that is not okay uh, for me, the program, or the other students on the team. So I do stress the importance of committing to the game and making sure that people show up to the game during game time. Teamwork is very important because the majority of the, the sports, the video games that students play involve working together as a team. And then, you know, communication goes hand in hand with teamwork. You need students who are able to communicate with each other effectively during those high peaks, high moments of pressure. And then, of course, the most important is coachability. A student needs to be able to be coachable. So what does coachability mean? Uh, for me, that means, you know, being able to admit mistakes, being able to be helped if they're not performing at the, the best that they can perform, and just being a good non-toxic team player. That, to me, is what coachability is. So all of these factors, to me, are very important into running a good esports program. After parent night, we officially begin practice. This year, I, I do plan on participating in the Monday practice days. I've avoided this in the past simply because I like going to the gym and getting my lift on, making my gains. But to be honest, I can still go and get swole after esports practice. So I'm going to participate in these practice days with my Super Smash and Madden teams so they can get better practice and a better idea of the competition that they will be facing. So Mondays are official practice days. Wednesdays are when my Super Smash team comes to play, and then Thursday are when the Madden players come to play. So I normally start getting ready for my matches about 3.30, and I get ready normally by doing the following. So number one, I, I make sure that all of my systems are updated and running the latest software. I make sure that the game is updated and running the latest software. I set the game station up for students. Sometimes they, they help if they show up right after school. Uh, generally, I'll test my internet connection by running some internet speed test and connectivity test. Basically, I'm just trying to make sure that my game system connects to the internet no problem. And I want to see if there's any latency issues, uh, you know, lag, uh, so to speak. And then I'll have students play a online match, depending on the game, to watch the game and to make sure everything's working properly. And then if it doesn't work, I panic and call my IT department and pray they haven't left for the day. Because <laughs> that is a huge problem uh, for me. If they do leave and I have a problem that I can't solve, uh, I will Google it and try to fix it. And if it's impossible for me to fix, I will request a reschedule. And most of the times, you know, the other coaches are super, super, super duper cool about that and are flexible. Usually I'll also reach out to the other coach in the coach's chat about 10 minutes prior to the match, maybe even sooner, 
depending on how many of my students have shown up. Uh, once four o'clock hits, all of my students are at their stations waiting on instructions from me. I'm normally sitting behind them with my laptop opened, and normally I have multiple tabs open because I'm I'm doing multiple matches. So within each match tab, I have the match assistant open, and I'm following the prompts to get the match started. It's very important for me to point out that you cannot move forward in the match assistant until the other coaches has done their part in the match assistant. And I know I complained about this, I think, in a previous episode, but it's still happening in preseason where you are having to wait 20 minutes in the match assistant to get a match started because the other coach, you know, has multiple matches or they don't know how to work the match assistant. And I'm just here to say that this is not acceptable. Guys, you know, if you have students you can trust, assign them team leaders and let them run the match assistant. Um, I know that some of us are running multiple teams with multiple games, so you need a computer that's fast with multiple tabs so you can respond as needed or you need to assign a student and let them do it. The chat feature, you know, is with the match assistant on the Play Versus website. It's supposed to expedite this process of getting matches started, not make it slower. So if you're a coach, please learn how to use the match assistant if you don't know how to use the match assistant, please reach out to myself or another coach. And if you're a coach with multiple teams, multiple programs, multiple games on, on the same day, then elect a student who's on that team to run that match assistant for you. Okay, it's very important. People should not be waiting 15, 20 minutes after four o'clock to get a match started. Once the match is started, I monitor the match behind the students. Once the match ends, if I'm the home team, I record the results in the match assistant. Then you repeat the process until all the matches are done. This process is actually much easier than when Play Versus first started out. I have discussed this in my previous episode, but let me assure you and just know that the chat feature and match assistant feature have been huge and improved upgrades to the high school esports ecosystem. So, once matches are over, we discuss what went well with the match and what we need to improve on. And then we re repeat the process until the season's over. Currently, we are in preseason, and preseason for the season is February 9th to February the 16th. Basically, teams get two full weeks of preseason game opportunities to test out equipment, learn how to use the match assistant, and work out any potential bugs before the real matches start. Preseason generally works a little bit differently than regular season. Basically, at 4 p.m., you're going to queue up in a matchmaking queue with other teams from different states. And so what you do is you queue up and then you wait and then it'll match you with somebody and you play that way. Normally, during the regular season, you will know your opponent in advance before playing against them. Um, so my teams, the Super Smash Ultimate team that I have and then my two Madden players both participated in preseason last week and won. And I'm very proud of those teams. So I hope this has been informative. Um, if you have any questions or want to offer any tips on how to get an esports program started for the season, please feel free to email me at theesportsreporths at gmail.com with the subject line esports program tips. So during the next big episode that I'm going to do, the March episode, the season is already going to be started. I will be reporting on specific games with my teams that they're involved in for the high school esports segment. And just for future uh, episodes, I plan on doing a couple of mini episodes 
that are just about video game news that I'm personally interested in that I think would benefit people listening to this podcast. So you can expect some long monthly episodes from me, but also some like mini episodes coming out. So for the rest of this episode, I am going to be discussing the current dumpster fire that is the professional esports industry and the just the video game industry right now and how I think all of these problems will affect high school esports. Uh, I'll be right back after this short break. 2023 ended pretty rough for a lot of game studios and game developers. According to uh, Nick Koloski, a writer for DICE, you know, there have just been like <laughs> major layoffs. And here I, I'm just going to list just a couple of them. So on January 17th, Unity laid off 300 staff. Uh, 343 Studios on January 19th laid off 95 staff. EA Studios and Baton Rouge laid off 200 staff. Twitch laid off 400 staff. EA Arts laid off 775 staff. And since then, uh, the list goes on. That's partially why I've been putting off posting this episode. Just because we keep seeing all of these layoffs. But I know that the month of February is running out and I'm going to need to post it soon. So yeah, these list of layoffs just keep going on. And honestly, 2024 is not looking much better for game developers as we're seeing major studio after me, major studio just lay off its workers following this trend that we saw at the end of 2023. So as of right now, according to GameIndustryLayoffs.com, Riot Games let go 530 staff members on 122.24. This was personally very upsetting to me. Some of my friends lost their jobs in that layoff set, and it's very upsetting. Uh, Twitch laid off another 500 staff on 110.24, and then Unity cut around 1,800 jobs on 118.24. So, you know, why are we seeing these major game industries, studios, like, reduce the number of staff when the game industry itself is worth billions of dollars? You know, games seem more popular than ever, and with the rise of competitive gaming, these studios should be expanding, not shrinking, right? Well, there's a lot of factors for, I think, why we're seeing the game industry layoffs that we're seeing. The first reason why a lot of people, myself included, think that we're seeing these massive layoffs in the game industry is honestly because of overhiring during the pandemic. You know, during the lockdown, there was a huge demand for these tech services because a huge portion of the workforce worked from home. And then additionally, games and even esports, you know, they gained more popularity because people couldn't go out. Twitch, YouTube, and other streaming sites, you know, they saw these massive upticks in their viewership. Game development, you know, went into overdrive, resulting in a lot of hiring. And so all of this caused large investments to happen during 2021 and 2022. However, these large investments that a bunch of stakeholders made and the expected return because of this growth were just unrealistic and unsustainable because growth is finite. You know, for example, with Twitch, there are only so many people that you can stream to. There are only so many eyeballs that can be on your service. Eventually, you're going to run out of viewers until the next generation ages up enough to become engaged with that platform, if that platform is still around. 
Abriana Quinn, Senior Vice President of Communication for the Entertainment Software Association, explains that the esport industry was worth $56.6 billion in 2022, and that's a level of growth that no other entertainment industry has matched. What we're seeing is now market stabilization. So, interest overall in tech services and games have waned since the pandemic. And because companies no longer see the exponential pandemic growth, they are cutting what they consider to be overhead costs. Passionate, talented game designers are losing their jobs at different companies at alarming rates. Now, some developers have spoken out about these layoffs. Specifically, in the Washington Post, there is an article titled, Video Game Studios Layoff Workers While Recruiting More, written by Shannon Liao. And this is a direct quote from one of the developers. Well, I'm filled with a mixture of shock, sadness, and gratitude in equal measure after finding out I've been laid off from 343 and Microsoft, said Will Watts, a former animator at 343 who posted his news to LinkedIn. I feel a lot of compassion for the 10,000 other individuals experiencing the same thing with me. Another developer said, Some of them have been there for years and gave the company and franchise everything. Genuinely cared about Halo and their crafts, the developer said. The sudden and significant impacts on the industry are taking a toll on the stability and trust of game developers, investors, and gamers themselves. So, you know, what, what is going to be the impact of these layoffs on collegiate and high school esports teams? Well, for college teams seeing the decline or stabilization, as Aubriana Quinn put it, changes plans moving forward. You know, college teams may begin to scale back operations for their own program if funding becomes an issue. Many college esports players who were hoping to go pro may look at these layoffs and massive reduction in spending, you know, which is obviously going to affect esports events and esports scholarships if they're they're reducing their workforce. I can't even imagine the reduction in like overall esports events that we're going to see in the professional esports space. And you know, they're realizing these pro, these college, you know, esports players who may be looking to go pro or not even to go pro, but just get into the industry as a broadcaster or an editor or, I don't know, some kind of behind-the-scenes film job. You know, these are the staff that are getting cut. These are the layoffs that are happening. So, you know, people might take a step back and think, you know, this industry itself is very unstable right now. I need to go into a more stable career. So we're going to lose out on a lot of potentially creative people because of overall decisions that the industry is making and you know funding is always an issue and it's going to absolutely become an issue and stay an issue if your program you know is declining your esports program whether in the college space or in the high school space you know, a lot of students who enjoy games, who are maybe in game development pathways or coursework, you know, they might rethink their future in gaming and stay away from esports programs entirely because they don't see a future in it. And, you know, other students, they'll, they'll look at the industry just like game developers in the industry or college, uh, potential college graduates right now. And they'll look at it and see it as a challenge and they'll be super passionate about it. And they're going to continue forward 
even though, you know, it might be even more difficult now than it was. And so high school programs, you know, they also may follow this trend. I'll I'll go ahead and tell you from experience operating a large program and a small program, uh, small programs do not have a lot of money and a lot of us are functioning in the red in a negative anyway. So we may see um, a further reduction of esports competitions in the high school space because of all these layoffs, because of all this money that we're seeing, you know, move or being pulled back because the growth in the industry itself has not met the expectations of the shareholders because they based all of this growth during the pandemic and now things have kind of, you know, petered off. So, and I don't fault a company for trying to make money. At the end of the day, companies are businesses and, you know, they exist to make money. However, I think there's going to be a real human cost to what we're seeing in the esports industry and the video game industry right now. The The industry itself was already volatile. And, you know, despite the massive game successes that we've seen, like Baldur's Gate 3, Alan Wake 2, Hi-Fi Rush... This has been one of the absolute worst times for people who are working in the game industry, whether they're a developer or like a support staff. You know, according to Dr. Uh, Jacqueline, executive director of the International Game Developers Organization, he stated in an interview with Polygon, quote unquote, paired with a tight economic conditions, the impact of layoffs has been amplified by reducing hiring and increased job competition, end quote. So 2024, we continue to see this growing trend of studios just laying off staff due to overhiring during the pandemic. So that's that's one of the major factors at play for why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. And then another reason that has led to these massive layoffs is just p- pure poor business decisions um, made by the game studio themselves. If you're online a lot like I am, if you're in the esports world or you keep up with game news, you've heard of Embracer and how hated they are right now because you have companies like Embracer um, coming in, disrupting the ecosystem even further by buying a bunch of things and then not being able to afford it and thus laying people off more is essentially what has happened. So yeah, the Embracer group comes to mind when I think of businesses that have made poor decisions. Uh, A lot of gamers are upset that their favorite IPs are in limbo because of decisions that the Embracer staff has made. And a lot of developers um, with game studios are now without jobs. So for those of you who have a life and you're not chronically online like myself... And you may have missed this recent gaming news. Back in May of 2022, Embracer announced via Twitter. uh, I'm never going to call it X, by the way. It will always be Twitter because I am old. (laughs) Uh, uh, By the way, uh, yeah, Embracer, they purchased a bunch of Square Enix studios. Uh, Square Enix sold a bunch of studios because they did not feel like these studios were making a lot of money. So some of these studios included Crystal Dynamics, EDOs Montreal, 
and Square Enix Montreal. So those were just like the big ones that came from Square Enix. And Bracer has also purchased like other companies and other studios. So the problem with these specific studios is these studios were some of the ones that developed Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Legacy of Kane, Thief, and along of, you know, with many others. So, for $3 million, which is a steal, by the way, <laughs> Embracer got all of these IPs and the workforce that made these IPs. So, many gamers were actually super excited about this because they thought, you know, under Embracer, these games would be revised, they would be revolutionized, and they would be rebooted instead of collecting dust. Um, however, that is not what has happened. Embracer has made very poor business decisions, and they are shutting down many of the studios that they purchased and these IPs due to a mismanagement of funds. So apparently Embracer was counting on a $2 million deal from Saudi Arabia's gaming group, which is led by the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, which, you know, that's that's a whole problem within itself and a topic for a different day. So according to a recent Kotaku article titled Report Embracer's $2 billion deal that blew up with Saudi Arabia, written by Ethan Gash, published August 14, 2023. Uh, Ethan quotes the Embracer CEO Lars Wingfold on the issue. Uh, so quote, Late last night, we were informed that one major strategic partnership that has been negotiated for several months will not materialize, end quote. He added as if the deal had ended up going through, it would have, quote unquote, set a new benchmark for the gaming industry, end quote. So, you know, while many gamers were hopeful about this new acquisition and these beloved games, perhaps it's actually a good thing that in this particular case, the Embracer Saudi Arabia deal fell through. You know, prior to this deal, Saudi Arabia had already given Embracer a $1 billion in investments. And while I am personally very upset that people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods, Dylan's with Saudi Arabia, man. I try not to get political, but I'm going to get political on that. I'm going to take a stance on human rights violations. Um, and I'm not saying the game industry is uh, free and clear of that, but... I'll just say that anything that limits Saudi Arabia and their foothold in American culture, especially in the gaming industry, is beneficial for the general American gaming public, I think. So, you know, Embracer is obviously not the only company that has taken money from Saudi Arabia. Um, again, I'm just, I'm devastated by the loss of workers in these studios and the loss of IPs, Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Human Revolution, <laughs> uh, Legacy of Kane, all of those are great and fantastic and need to be rebooted, and I'm sad to see them go, but I'm happy to not see Saudi Arabia get a deeper foothold in the gaming industry. So <laughs> that's um, one of the ongoing problems you have outside political influences trying to worm their way into the game industry and then also you have companies like Embracer who are just buying up multiple industries that are going under and then unable to like maintain those studios thus resulting in even more layoffs and even more instability in the industry 
So way to go, Embracer. Two thumbs up for a job well done on making a bad situation worse. So another factor that can be contributed to the mass reduction in the workforce across the game industry honestly comes down to working conditions. So a lot of workers, including game developers, are simply leaving because of the worsening job conditions in the industry. The game industry itself is known to prey on people's passions. Uh, A lot of game developers have talked about long hours, low pay, and terrible working conditions they have worked in to complete a game. And then, you know, (laughs) it's a gamble on whether that game can do well or flop. And if that game does well, great, fantastic, everybody gets paid. But if that game is terrible, uh, I'm looking at you, Starfield, uh, unless you're a huge company like Bethesda who can afford a multi-million dollar hit, hit like a, a failed game can tank a game company. It can completely put it out of business. And so, you know, there's a real risk in the industry. And that's why over the years, gamers are seeing like much of the same safe games in the AAA space. So, you know, the same Madden, the same Call of Duty. Because these IPs have records of success. You know, don't fix what ain't broken. Why make a risky change? Why introduce a new IP? Why introduce new characters? You know, look at Starfield with Bethesda and look what happened to them. For those of you who don't know, Starfield was a huge disaster and it was terrible. And any other game company would have just melted and declared bankruptcy and gone under. (laughs) Uh, But that is a side note. So in 2023, Logan Plant, writer for IGN, in his article titled Exclusive New Survey Reveals That Many Game Developers Consider Their Career Unsustainable, explains the results of a study that they conducted. So here's a quote from the study. Uh, Quote-unquote, 50% of responses to the survey indicated that half of them, the game developers, had experienced more crunch time or overtime requirement in the last two years. End quote. Um, Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you. This statement does not surprise me because I know enough about game development to know that I couldn't do it. (laughs) Like, I'm smart enough to know that's not something I can do. It's very complicated. It's very hard. And it's getting harder. And, you know, this is especially true because you have, you know, game, I don't want to call them studios, but you have service providers to game developers you know, like Unity and Unreal Engine, which are programs that are used to make games. You have companies who are providing, you know, services to game developers who are also disrupting the the industry. And what I mean by this is there is a game developer called Unity. And it's an engine that a lot of small game developers and large game developers use to make games. Well. Last year, suddenly, Unity decided to change its pricing model and essentially torpedo itself into oblivion and lose all credibility in the gaming industry. Like, Unity went from 
like a okay, meh, they've messed up a couple of times company to uh we do not like you. We will not support you. We are actively going to remove our business ties to you is what happened. Because essentially with this new pricing model, what happened is every time a game was downloaded, the developer would be charged. So if you're a one-man developer, if you're a one-person person, one-person person, one-person person team making a game and you make somebody angry, 50,000 people could download your game. You would be charged for it. They could delete that game and then reinstall that game and you could be charged for it again. So essentially... Um, people under this new rule could like target small developers or even big developers, install the game, get the developer to have the charge, delete the game, reinstall it, have another charge and repeat that and keep doing it. Cause there was no way for unity to safeguard that from happening and unity itself admitted it. So that's happening with the software and the software provider that is used to make games. So this whole thing happened. A lot of people got mad and they switched from Unity to Unreal Engine, which is like a whole new thing you have to learn. But, you know, Unity and the choices they made made so many people angry that they lost trust in the industry. And a lot of people just said, we can't trust you and left. And that's what we're seeing in the professional game industry now. So these are also factors that are contributing to the instability that we're seeing. So another reason that we're seeing <laughs> what we're seeing in the professional esports industry and video game industry is an increased AI use in game studios that essentially has displaced game developers. And, you know, while AI has helped immensely in a variety of ways, it's actually harming the future of game development in a lot of ways. And I don't want to sound like a boomer. I know I sound like a boomer. Oh, AI, get off my lawn. Back in my day, we went to the library and we got a card catalog and we looked at the microfiche. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to be that person. You know, AI, I, I use it. I use chat GPT. Um, it has a time and place, but a lot of Game studios are using AI as a way to reduce their workforce, which is bad, which is what we we don't want. And there are like articles about this. So according to an article titled, Video Game Studios Are So Scared of AI, They're Forcing Managers to Study Machine Learning and Offering Employees 7,000 Bounties for AI Ideas by Takashi Mokuzuki, Jane Zhang, and Bloomberg published on July 25th, 2023. And this is a direct quote from that article. Um, quote, unquote, the head of one major Japanese studio is preparing for a future where half of its company's programmers and designers will be unnecessary within five years, end quote. Now, that is terrifying. Um, I am not a game developer. I am an educator. Uh, English business and film and uh, that is terrifying so with AI in the industry many of the developer jobs are becoming redundant and the workforce is 
being reduced. You know, game production costs have spiraled out of control um, the past couple of years because studios are trying to create these bigger triple A games. You know, recently, um, God, I can't remember what developer it was. I think it was Unity or Ubisoft or somebody that they had been developing a game for 11 years and they wanted to call it a quadruple A game and it's called Skull and Bones and it's garbage. It's a garbage game. It's not a quadruple A game and they spent way too much money on it. So again, that goes to bad game decisions, uh, bad business decisions, spending too much money on things and just... Just games don't need sixty thousand, sixty billion dollars. Okay, we don't need a bunch of AAA games. Actually, right now in the gaming industry, if you go to the Steam trending charts, like a lot of the games that are trending are like thirty, forty dollar games. Power World, Hell Divers Two, uh, the last uh, Epoch, all of those are trending right now alongside Baldur's Gate. Three, but Baldur's Gate 3 is an anomaly and an episode within itself. But you have all these different factors that are feeding into the game industry and making it even more <laughs> volatile. And then you have AI being introduced more and more because these company budgets are getting bigger and bigger and they're trying to reduce their workforce to cut costs. And so we're having, <laughs> you know, we're having a lot of problems. Um, according to the article, just so you know, this is this is how how big game uh, studio budgets get. The Last of Us Part Two and Horizon Forbidden West cost so- Sony more than two million each, and required multiple years of production and a huge staff. So you know, making a video game, a triple A video game these days, is like making uh, a Hollywood like huge film production like Oppenheimer or or Barbie like they feel like they have to have all of this stuff and sometimes you just don't and so what game developer not game developers but game companies are looking at is they're looking at AI and how AI can reduce and reduce the cost of all this work by half so of course companies are going to go for the cheaper route to save money for their shareholders more so than anything else with increased ai use games are rapidly losing what a lot of journalists are considering their human element as staff reductions continue across the board so far in 2024 there have been over 61,000 jobs lost and i'm sure when I post this episode, they're going to continue being layoffs. So just to recap, the multiple issues that have contributed to the current uh, collapse of the gaming industry that we are currently witnessing is overhiring during the pandemic, bad business decisions, poor working conditions, and an increased usage of AI. So these factors, as I mentioned briefly before, are affecting the professional esports space as well. We're seeing a significant decrease in sponsorships and funding for events, programs, and teams. And so a contributing factor for a lack of sponsorships is the miscalculation of growth that the stakeholders saw in the pandemic. Um, As I stated earlier, the gaming industry, and this includes the esports industry, grew faster than any other industry and stakeholders did not realize that this growth was unsustainable 
you know, now that the interest in esports and games has waned, stakeholders are pulling back their money, and this is resulting in less money for esports events and teams. On the notable professional esports games that have been declining is the Overwatch professional scene. Additionally, with the recent merger between Microsoft and Blizzard, many of the Overwatch team uh, staff, event staff, and developers were fired, hurting the overall development of this game and the esports surrounding it. And, you know, this will affect high school esports because Overwatch is in the youth program. So if the developers have been cut, the event staff has been cut, and the funding for the game has been cut, eventually we may see this game sunsetted or done away with, and students just might not be able to play it anymore because the support from the actual developer itself is not there, which is a problem. And, you know, all of those factors I just mentioned, they are going to affect the high school esports system eventually if they're not already. You know, first, many high school programs already operate at a deficit because funding is difficult for many programs. I have discussed ways to fundraise in previous episodes, but basically high school esports programs gather money from the esports students themselves, the community, or fundraising. And all of this can be hard if you're in a smaller community where the resources are stretched super thin among the community because you've already got other clubs and sports needing sponsors. And I I honestly don't know how many coaches pay attention to video game news like myself, and if you don't, that's okay. Um, However, if you weren't into gaming news, you know, there's been so many articles and stories about it that... I'm surprised if most people haven't heard that there's some kind of problem. Like, there are adults that I interact with at my job who have no concept of video game or the gaming industry, and they are coming to me talking about what, like, asking me what is going on and what is the problem. So... You know, for coaches like myself, we see this news, we think about situations where, you know, schools who were previously interested in esports now backing out because of what is happening in the industry. You know, why invest the time, the money, and resources into something that is actively dying? So, first issue we have schools who are interested in esports may see all of this terrible news about the industry and decide it's not worth a hassle. Uh, Second, and this is more of an anecdotal issue for me, um, and please contact me at the esportsreporths at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Twitter to answer this question. Um, Do you see current students interested in game design classes losing interest because of what is currently going on? Because I do. The game design program at my school is currently dying for a variety of reasons, but it's mostly because students who are normally interested in game design um, have told the game design teacher, who has then told me, that they are looking at this news and seeing their favorite streamers like Gold and Moist Critical talk about these issues, and they are even stepping back and saying, this is not worth it. And they're switching from game development to to computer science or cybersecurity 
because they're seeing more value in those courses. So, you know, if this is also happening at your school, you know, hit me up via email or Twitter. So that is just something personal that I'm seeing. And I'm actually curious to see if that is happening in other schools. And so another issue that we may see trickle down from the professional industry is a decrease in specific esports titles. Now, I already talked about this a little bit with the professional Overwatch esports community and how it's already struggling. So what what's going to happen if the publisher doesn't support the game and they keep reducing the staff of the game? The game quality is going to get worse and then nobody's going to want to play the game. You know, I think of Gears of War and how... Gears of War had a crazy, insane, online, competitive esports community. But after 15 years, it was just, it was shut down because the publisher no longer supported it. And they they didn't have the staff or the game developers to keep making it. When's the last time you've seen a Gears of War game? It's been years. You know, and in high school, we're already sunsetting games. You know, FIFA... FIFA is gone. They don't even make FIFA anymore. FIFA is gone because it was a lack of competition. And I remember going to Atlanta to where we do our state esports competition and watching FIFA. And now (laughs) FIFA is no longer there. So other game titles are going to be cut from competition if more interest is not shown from the publisher who decides how much attention it gets with how much resources they're pumping towards that game. And all of that is trickling down. And that, that is what, um, you know, concerned with, and also the overall development, like how game mechanics, graphics, narratives, how all of these layoffs are gonna result in worse quality games that nobody's going to want to play. And to be honest, the game industry and professional esports scene is not looking good. And I'm really afraid that it's going to continue to get worse. I do think eventually it's going to stabilize. Um, but as a high school esports coach, I am worried about how the decisions and what's happening in the professional space will eventually trickle down and impact me and my students. So we're already seeing interested schools hesitate to join. And obviously the recent news isn't helping. Students not interested in the game industry as much as they were previously. And we might just have games completely deleted eventually from the competition pool. Um, And, you know, if you can think of any other factors about how the collapsing of the professional game industry will also affect high school esports programs, feel free to contact me and share them. So I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and write a review. The goal of this podcast is to help stay abreast and keep you guys informed with what is happening in the world of high school esports and beyond. So do you want to help out? There are a ton of esports programs in need of sponsors, and I'm sure they would love a program donation to help cover jerseys, pizza parties, games, consoles, and much more. So please feel free to reach out to me at the esports report, hs at gmail.com. Also, fun fact, I am currently doing a esports dissertation and I would love to talk to some esports students and coaches about their esports experience. So please contact me at the same email if you are interested. So I want to thank you for listening. 
and I look forward to discussing the season because the regular season will have started in um, it's actually started today, Wednesday, February the 21st, as I finish recording this episode. So we hit our first round of regular season matches. So by the time I hit another episode out in March, we will be fully into the season. So I look forward to talking about that along with other important gaming news. So thank you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the eSports Report. Be sure to subscribe, find us on YouTube, and leave a review.